Joshua chapter 7 this morning. For those that may be joining us today for the first time, we have been in a study of the book of Joshua since the first Sunday of this year. We're studying it in conjunction with our theme here at Fellowship Baptist Church this year, which is forward. And we are so thankful for everything that God has done for us in the past. Our church was established in, on November the 13th, 1955, uh, one night in what was called the Blue Bonnet Community Hall. Uh, the Fellowship Baptist Mission uh, was officially organized into the Fellowship Baptist Church. Uh, there were nine members who signed that night uh, on, uh, as, as the church was chartered. Uh, their first act of official business was they called a man by the name of Weldon Avery uh, to be their pastor. And here we are all of these years later, many different buildings later, um, but we're preaching the same message that they preached in 1955. And it has the same effect in 2019 as it did in 1955. And we're thankful for that today. How, I said all that to say this, we're thankful for everything God has done in the past, but we want to move forward. And because we're convinced God has more uh, in the future. And uh, we want everything that God has for us. How many of you here are old enough and would admit it, uh, you're old enough to remember ABC's Wide World of Sports. Anybody old enough? Come on, raise your hands, be honest, keep them up. All right, awesome, awesome. Look around all the old people. <laughs> Do you remember how each of those broadcasts began? Every one of them began the same way. It began with, Jim McKay saying, spanning the globe to bring you the variety in sports. The thrill of victory and, help me, mm, the agony of defeat. And you remember when they would say that, they always showed that Yugoslavian ski jumper and he was tucked in and he was scooting down that track and <laughs> he wipes out big time. I mean, this guy's moving and he hits a clump of snow. I was reading, reading about it this week, what made it all happen. He hit a clump of snow and he lost control and he said, the next thing I know, he said, I'm on a stretcher. I mean, the guy just absolutely broke himself that day. Now, if you're too young to remember that, Google it, okay? It's really pretty cool. Or I guess I get a kick out of watching other people hurt themselves, but it's really a pretty, pretty phenomenal sight. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat is the perfect way to characterize Joshua chapter 6 and 7. Up to this point, through the end of Joshua 6, it has been nothing but success for the children of Israel. There was success when they crossed the, the flooded Jordan 
on dry ground. Just as their parents had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. There was success in Gilgal when they willingly obeyed the Lord. As we saw last week, there was huge success at Jericho as they watched those massive walls that surrounded that city come crashing down. Win after win after win, victory permeated the camp of Israel. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Such is the glorious close of chapter 6. But that glorious end is in great contrast to the ominous beginning of chapter 7. Look at it. What's the first word? But. Success, win, 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 but. And just like that, the thrill of victory is turned into the agony of defeat. But the children, it says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Now, I want you to keep your place there. Turn back a page if you need to to chapter 6. I didn't touch on this much um, when, when we were there because I knew that we would cover it today. But I want to talk just a minute, refresh our minds about this accursed thing. In chapter 6 and verse 17, it says in the city, this is, the Lord speaking, the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. Talking about God changing your life. Now go back and read that story, Joshua chapter 2. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and troubled, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Look at the beginning of verse 19 again. But all, look at it, all, every piece of silver and of gold, the vessels of brass, the vessels of iron, all of it, God said, belongs to me. Don't take it. It's very clear. 
So he gives the warning. The command is clear. But there's one man, one man who failed to heed the warning. Look at chapter 7 again. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Here's the man for Achan. It's his name. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho. Now keep in mind here, Joshua has no idea what Achan has done. None. He has no clue that Achan has sinned, that Achan has trespassed, that Achan has taken of the accursed thing. He doesn't know that. And so he sends men to Ai, which is beside Bethhaven on the east side of Bethel, and he spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up, and they viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about eh, two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but a few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men. Watch this. And they fled before the men of Ai. Translated, they turned tail and ran. And the men of Ai smote of them, killed of them about thirty and six men. For they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So Joshua sends out this, this small reconnaissance team and says, go and, and spy out Ai. Ai was the next town past Jericho. It was the next city that had to fall in the Israelites' conquest of Canaan. And so Joshua said, go check it out and see, see what's going on, see what we need. And, and those men come back and say, say listen, Joshua, um, Rudy, we don't need to to send the whole army, there's just, there's just a few of them, uh, maybe a couple of thousand, three thousand at the most. And so Joshua sends, you read it, Joshua sends three thousand men, again without knowing what Achan had done. But because of his sin, what should have been a sure victory that day turned into an embarrassing defeat as the mighty men of Israel's army, minus 36 of their friends who died in battle, literally had to run for their lives. And just on a side note, this is the only loss of life that is recorded in the book of Joshua as far as God's people are concerned. This is it. Those 36 men is all we find recorded in the book of Joshua. 
Now, several explanations have been advanced by commentators as to uh, why the defeat at AI. Uh, they talk about self-confidence. They talk about a lack of prayer. And, and, and certainly we should not overlook those things. But the reason God gives for their defeat is simple. There was sin in the camp. There was sin in the camp. Joshua is just humiliated and he's grief-stricken at no doubt the loss of those 36 men and the embarrassment of, of being turned away and ran off by a, a little bitty band of men from Ai and, and in verses six through nine he's, he's, he's laying on his face and then God comes to him in verse 10, look at it and he says, "Joshua, get up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. It's the first that Joshua's heard of it. Joshua, here's what's going on. There's sin in the camp. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand. Joshua, you want to know why you got beat? You want to know why those 36 men lost their lives? Why they had to turn their backs on their enemies? God says in the middle of verse 12, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except ye destroy the accursed from among you. And then you go on to read verses 14 through 18. God gives Joshua specific instructions for how he is to go about finding out who has committed the accursed thing. And he tells him how this investigation, if you will, is supposed to go. And he follows the directions, the instructions that were given he does it exactly like God said to do it, and it's found out to be Achan. Achan. Now look in verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw, watch verse 21, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran under the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. Real quick, let me stop here. If you mark in your Bible, 
I want you to go back to verse 21, and I want you to underline or circle or highlight three words. Saw, coveted, took. Saw, coveted, took. Verse 23. We'll come back to that. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all, the, uh, all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised up over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. If I were going to summarize Joshua chapter 7, I would do it by saying this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll leave you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you far more than you want to pay. I have several lessons from our text that I trust will serve us well today and in the future. And the first one is simply this. The path to sin is always the same. The path to sin is always the same. The path is laid out for us in the three words that I ask you to highlight in verse 21. Saw, coveted, and took. If, you were, if we were to go back to the book of Genesis, here's what we would find. Is that Eve's path to sin in partaking of forbidden fruit was just the same. She saw... She coveted, and she took. If we were to go to the story of the life of David, the pathway to adultery with Bathsheba was the same. He saw, he coveted, and he took. He saw the fruit. She wanted the fruit, so she took the fruit. David saw Bathsheba, he lusted for Bathsheba, and he got Bathsheba. These three steps correspond to the aspects of temptation that are set forth by John in the little epistle of 1 John chapter 2. He said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh is the desire to do. The lust of the eyes is the desire to have. The pride of life is the desire to be. Now, is there anything wrong this morning with 
having a desire to do something or to have something or to be something. Absolutely not. Those are natural desires. But the problem arises when the devil tempts us to fulfill these natural desires in sinful ways. Achan saw, according to William Wilson in his Old Testament word studies, the word saw there is from a Hebrew word that means this. It means to look at with intention purposely, to see with delight, to look upon with pleasure. So we're not talking about a casual glance. We're not talking about an accidental seeing, but rather a concentrated staring at the evil scene. Achan permitted his eyes to dwell on the forbidden. Now, Perhaps he couldn't have helped but see this gold and this silver and this garment. I mean, the walls had come down, and he was a good soldier, and he was just going through the rubble because God said, there's some stuff in there that belonged to me, and I want you to get it, and I want you to put it in the treasury of the house of God. And so he's rummaging through there with his fellow soldiers and he comes upon this garment and this gold and this silver. He couldn't help it. It was right there. It was just boom. I mean, he's pulling stuff away and, and, and here's some gold and some silver and a garment. But here's where he got in trouble. He continued to look upon them with pleasure and delight. And the result was sin. Let me just be real here for a minute this morning with the men. Guys, we live in a culture that lends itself far too easily to lust. And like Achan, you know this as well as I do. We don't have to go looking for it. Uh-uh. It's everywhere. It's like at every turn. On every television program. In music. In whatever it is. We, it's in the store. It's in the checkout line. I mean, it's, it's everywhere at every turn. Boom, it's like it's staring us right in the face. I didn't go looking for it. You didn't go looking for it. And like Achan, we may not be able to avoid that initial contact, but, but it's the purposeful, continual stare with pleasure and delight and desire that will destroy us every time. Help me this morning. And the devil knows that. And guys, we need to be aware. 
Achan saw. Achan coveted. The more Achan looked, the more he lusted. You see, lust isn't just about sexual things. It's about material things as well. The longer he looked at it, the more he wanted it. One of my favorite writers, his name's Warren Wiersbe, he said this, the imagination, listen to this, the imagination is the womb in which desire is conceived and from which sin and death are eventually born. I'll say again what I have said over and over and over in the past. Whoever, listen, whoever or whatever controls the mind wins the battle. Mark it down. Whoever or whatever controls the mind wins the battle. Now allow me to make a different kind of life application if I may. It happens when we see something that we really like and we really want, but we really can't afford. But it must be God's will, we say to ourselves, because I want it so bad. And so we convince ourselves to make an ill-advised purchase of something we can't afford. Hello? And this doesn't just happen with material things. It happens when a man or a woman is willing to compromise their character or their commitment to the Lord in order to get a promotion or have that position. Isn't covetousness is a killer? Where there was peace, it brings hostility. Where there was love, it stirs up division. And where, the, where there was contentment, it brings, breeds complaint. I wish my wife was like her. I wish my husband was like him. I wish our car, our house, my clothes were like theirs. Achan saw, and then he coveted. He lusted. I want that. I need that. I've got to have that. And so what did he do? He took it. He took it. Achan knew full well what God had said. God's word was clear. It was clear about taking things from Jericho that were supposed to go into the treasury of the house of God. But because of his intense covetousness and lusting for something that was forbidden, he ignored what God said and he did what he wanted to do. 
His actions, in essence, say this. I am my own God. I will make my own rules. I will live my own way. It's a sad situation when we let our ego override the authority of God's word in our life. Because we not, listen, we not only place ourselves in jeopardy when we do that, but we are also adversely affecting the lives of those around us. Which brings us to this thought today. No one sins unto himself. If Achan thought that he could do what he did without having any effect on anyone else, he was sorely mistaken. There were, listen, there were 36 needless graves in Canaan because 36 men died in that initial battle against Ai. 36 men, listen to me this morning, who didn't have to die and who probably would not have died had Achan not sinned in taking the accursed thing. 36 graves meant 36 funerals. 36 funerals meant 36 wives without husbands. And only God knows how many children without fathers. Achan, was it worth it? In addition to the deaths of these 36 men, there were the deaths of his family. Achan, was it worth it? These deaths are such a vivid, you with me today? Trying to help you. These deaths are such a vivid reminder of what James said in James chapter 1. But every man or woman is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what church? Sin always, always results. In death. Yes, sometimes it is physical death. At other times it's the death of relationships. Sometimes it's the death of a career or a reputation. But regardless of what it is, listen to me this morning, something is going to die as the result of our sin. And at the end of the day, 
we are left to ask ourselves this question. Was it worth it? Was it? Was it worth it? Mom and dad, is it worth losing your marriage or your family? Teenagers, is it worth losing your purity? Young adult, is sin worth losing your career? Business people, is sin worth losing your integrity? Is sin worth losing your good name? Is it worth losing a, a lifelong friendship? Is it worth losing your life? A man by the name of John Piper says that sin gets its power, listen to this, it gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. Some of you may be surprised this morning to know that the Bible actually admits in the book of Hebrews that there is pleasure in sin. It does. It says it. There is pleasure in sin. And why wouldn't it say that? I mean, who's going to be tempted to do something that brings no pleasure? Hello? Anyone here ever been tempted to get a root canal? <laughs> I'll take that as a no. Anybody here wake up one morning with this overwhelming lust for a colonoscopy? Are there any men here who have ever been tempted to grow, go grocery shopping with your wife instead of hunting with your buddies? Oh, that's a tough one. Any of you teenagers ever been tempted to hang out at home with mom and dad instead of going to a movie with your friends? I just woke some of you up. I'm sorry. Why do these things tempt us? Or why do these things not tempt us? Because there's no pleasure in them for us. Especially the prep work. The beginning of that verse in Hebrews says, There is pleasure in sin. But it quickly follows with these three words. For a season. For a season. 
Oh, yes, there is pleasure in seeing and coveting and taking the forbidden. I'm not going to lie to you today. There is some satisfaction in that. There is some initial pleasure in that. But the pleasure is so short-lived. I took some time this week to calculate by today's standards how much Achan gained. In taking the 200 shekels of silver and that piece of gold that weighed 50 shekels of gold. And, and, and as near as I could figure, the silver, by today's standards, about Thursday standards, Friday standards, would have been worth about $1,100. That 50 shekel weight of gold would have been worth about $24,500 as of Friday. Aiken was having $35,500 worth of precious metal in your possession for a matter of days? May, maybe a week? Was it worth the lives of 36 men? Was it worth the lives of your family? Haken, was it worth your own life? Temptations boast that sin will make us happier for the long term, listen to me, is a lie. It's a lie. But sadly... It's a lie that many are willing to follow all the way to its bitter end. The path to sin is always the same. I saw, I coveted, I took. No one sins unto himself. Truth number three, we cannot hide our sin from God. Achan was able to conceal his sin from many, but not from God. Now, I'm just going to let God speak to this. I'm going to show you a list of scripture here. Psalm 44, 21, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Here's one. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God said, for mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Luke 8, for nothing is done in secret. 
that shall not be made manifest. Neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Here's the last one. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There may be some things in your life today that no one knows about. Not your spouse, not your children, not your parents, not your friends, not your coach, not your teammates, not your boss, not your coworkers, not your pastor, not your co-pastor, not anyone. But God. But God. He knows it all. He sees it all. And from what I just read, what I understand is one day he will confront it all. But thankfully, and here's our last thought today. God always gives space for repentance. He always gives space. Here's something that, I'll try to hurry, it made me really curious as I contemplated this chapter. If God knew what Achan did, and he did, by the way, God knew it. If God knew what Achan did, then why didn't he just point it out to Joshua, like right now? And let Joshua deal with it right away. Remember, there were some two million people, two million Israelites at this point. We don't know for sure. And those two million Israelites were divided into 12 tribes. Reuben and Simeon and, and Levi and Judah and Dan, excuse me, and right on down the line. There were 12 of them. And God's instructions was this, Joshua, I want you to call every tribe, bring every tribe together, call them out. And then I want you to call out every family in that tribe. And then I want you to call out every member of that family. It would be like this. There is the Barnes tribe. That's a pretty good word for it. The Barnes tribe. And within that tribe, there is the Mike Barnes family. And the Justin Barnes family. And the Nathan Barnes family. But within those families, there is Mike Barnes and Joyce Barnes, and Justin Barnes, and Janine Barnes, and Nate Barnes, and Alexia, Alexa Barnes. You with me? Two 
million people. Twelve tribes. Family by family. Person by person. Can you imagine how long that took? Why did God do that, Brother Tyler? Why did he do that? I think there are possibly two reasons. Number one, because he wanted everybody in the nation of Israel to understand the seriousness of sin. And though it was done in secret, it was going to be dealt with in the open. Because God didn't want any more of that nonsense going on. But here's really where my heart goes this morning. It may very well have been to give Achan an opportunity to confess his sin and repent. Can you imagine what must have been going on in Achan's heart as he sees the tribe of Dan called before Joshua? And he sees every family in the tribe of Dan called before Joshua? And he sees every member of every family in every tribe called before Joshua. Can you imagine what was going on in Achan's heart? The consternation, the fear, the guilt, the conviction. He knows what's coming. Because at some point, Moses or Joshua is going to say, I want the tribe of Judah. And at some point it got down to the Achan family. And then it got down to Achan. I don't know how long that would have taken. But in my heart, I'm thinking, and, and, and I could be wrong, but I'm thinking... God is giving Achan an opportunity to confess and repent and to turn around and to change. But he didn't. He held on to it all the way to its bitter end. But pastor, no, 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 no. He did, he did confess. He, he did say, I did it. Yeah, after he was found out. Which gives the implication that had he not been found out, he would have never come forward. May I remind you today of Jeremiah's words in Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Why does God not just open the ground when we sin and swallow us up? Why does he not just zap us with a lightning bolt from heaven when we sin? Because his mercies, his mercies 
His compassion, his love, his desire to see his people make things right. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, church, listen to me this morning. God is good. And God is gracious. And He's merciful. And He's long-suffering. But there will come a time when He says, enough is enough. If you find yourself here today in an Aiken situation, then I would encourage you in just a moment to use this day, this time, this space of grace as an opportunity to confess your sin before the Lord. You don't have to tell me about it. To confess your sin before the Lord and repent. As our musicians get ready this morning, I, I want to close with this thought. As I perused the pages, the verses of chapter 8, I found out something very interesting. That had Achan obeyed God and not taken those things from Jericho, then as we're going to see in a few weeks, (laughs) he could have had. He could have had that. Might have even been able to have more than what he got. And God would have been okay with it. As a matter of fact, it would have been God who said, take it. In the end, listen to me, we're done. In the end. Achan got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. You with me? Achan got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. Was it worth it? No, really, seriously. Was it? Was it worth it? I think not. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer?